Welcome to the ABCs of Matrescence. We are two mamas, Emma and Mackenzie, and we both have toddler-aged boys and infant daughters. And here on our podcast, we chat all things real motherhood from A to Z and absolutely everything in between. Matrescence is the process of becoming a mother, and that is what we dive into on each and every episode. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. If you recognize my voice, you know that I am Mackenzie. I am one of the two of us here, and it is just such a pleasure to be back behind the mic again. We haven't been recording too much. We've had our hands and lives very full with our new babies, so it is exciting to jump back on. And today's episode is a really special one. So instead of focusing exclusively on motherhood, today I, so again, as I said, Mackenzie, it'll just be me today, and presenting an incredible interview that I had the opportunity to do with my dad. They say that becoming a parent allows you to see your own parents in a whole new light. In my case, that light shines and shimmers with the admiration that I have for my father. So let's just imagine for a second that a magic genie grants you the opportunity to interview one person, deceased or living. Who would you choose? I'm sure folks like Abe Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., Bill Gates, even Beyonce would probably top the list. No doubt fascinating figures with stories to tell, but my interview of choice, however, wouldn't be with someone famous or particularly well-known. For me, the most interviewing, excuse me, the most interesting and frankly mysterious person whose mind I would love to explore is none other than my father. So let me tell you a little bit about him before we get started. Scott Wesley Hopman was born on August 30th, 1944 to Wesley and Eileen Hopman. His parents, Canadians by birth, had immigrated to the United States and settled in Seattle, Washington, where my father was born. Little Scott was a pistol, the first of three children and by far the most precocious. My own son Emerson has so much of his pappy in him that I can empathize with what my poor grandmother Eileen Hoppy went through in raising her son. Scott grew up in a humble home in Seattle's Greenwood and Ballard neighborhoods. His father worked on the railroad and his mother was a nurse. He finished his secondary schooling and went on to achieve a bachelor's degree from the University of Washington, where he also did postgraduate work. He was drafted during the Vietnam War, where he served stateside with his brother Wayne. To this day, my dad remains fiercely critical of many of our country's foreign policies, but he has never once regretted serving alongside his brother. An avid skier and restaurateur, my dad found peace, happiness, and fuel for his athletic passions living in the mountains of Idaho and Colorado. He opened and operated the most popular restaurant in Vail, Colorado during the 70s, where he began serving as a city councilman. During his first marriage, he adopted two children, my brother Patrick and my sister Heidi. Upon his divorce from his first wife, Scott was a single father who juggled full-time fatherhood, running his restaurants, and serving the town of Vail. He met my mom while working on a special project to open a restaurant in Phoenix, Arizona in 1980, just shortly after his father passed away. My mother, Donna, hadn't expected to fall in love with a man who already had two children, just as my dad hadn't expected to spend his foreseeable future in Arizona. They were married in 1982, and I was born in 1985. My sister, Alessandra, was born in 1989. My dad was a dedicated and loving father and a devoted and loving husband. All four of us grew up in a supportive and caring home. Our dad has worked as an architect, restaurateur, and entrepreneur throughout the entirety of our lives. He is a risk taker, but a man who always, always puts his family first. Our childhood, adolescence, and adulthood have been enriched immeasurably by our father and the pivotal role he has played in our character development. Today, I am 35 and my sister Alessandra is 32. Our older brother and sister are in their 40s, busy raising families of their own. 
we are all as close as ever with our dad. Scott Hopman is forever a beloved celebrity in our eyes. So today, I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with my father and dive into his past, his thoughts, his passions, his yearnings. Scott Hopman is 77 years young, as of this past August, almost eight decades of life experience under his belt, and enough strong opinions to make your head spin. It is with great pleasure and pride that I welcome my magic genie interviewee, Scott Wesley Hopman. Hi, Dad. Hi, sweetheart. <laughs> First, let me say how proud of, I am of you. And uh, thank you very much for the wonderfully flattering introduction. <laughs> I didn't have to exaggerate too much, Dad. I just simply wrote about your life. <laughs> it was very kind. Thank you. So why don't we jump in with something light and fun? And light and fun often means food. <laughs> so you can have dinner anywhere in the world tonight. Where are you? Why? What are you eating? <laughs> Interesting, because the question itself almost leads you to say, well, I have to find the most romantic spot in the world in the most romantic setting and try to go back and remember <clears throat> the beautiful patios or vistas that uh, I've had a meal. But coming and approaching Thanksgiving, um, which is my favorite holiday of the year, for a number of reasons, because it brings family together, it brings love together, it brings food together, and uh, hopefully mostly harmony. And in our family, it usually is all harmony, so it's a good thing. Um, <laughs> we, limit, we limit the politics as much as possible. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And... Uh, and so, you know, first thought is, oh, I'm with my loving family. I'm around a beautiful table on a beautiful holiday like Thanksgiving. But if I were to get a little bit romantic, it would be like I am uh, I'm in Italy um, with the loves of my life, my family, my wife. Uh, we're having dinner um, in Rome, looking at the uh, Pantheon, mm. and we're probably eating some pasta and drinking some wine. So that would be about as nice as it could get. I think that sounds really good. That sounds actually really delicious. Well, we're going to have to let Tree know that that was your number one. For yes. our listeners, Tree's my husband, and he has been promising my dad for his entire six years of residency that he'll be taking the whole family to Italy. So, And I'm still counting on <laughs> yes, that. Yes, I was going to say, we can't let him forget it. So uh, moving from food to exercise, I suppose that is a natural transition. Tell me about one of your most memorable athletic endeavors. And now I realize this is a very loaded question because your athletic endeavors could fill a book the size of an encyclopedia. <laughs> I was just going to start off by, I guess, the first thing that came to Which mind. Which one? Which sport? But, yeah, and the first thing that came Which to mind. Which continent? What city? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the first thing that came to mind is how much time do we have? And so you pretty well answered that, which I guess is limited. Um, so it's interesting because I have been very uh, blessed in my health and had to have a number of phases in my life. Uh, and so my athletics is over time. And it started off in general sports as a young man, led to skiing and mountaineering, and in some cases racing and aggressive climbing, running. That led me to a whole phase. And then I spent 20, 25 years with your mother studying martial arts. But if I were to go back and say, I gotta pick one, it would probably be the run I did in Colorado with a friend, which is now almost 40 years ago. Uh, we ran from Vail to Aspen uh, that kind of came about in a unique way. The, the hike from Vail to Aspen is typically three to four days. 
and we were sitting with a couple of friends of ours who had just recently completed the hike uh, and over a beer they were talking about it and then all of a sudden with a little bit of arrogance and bravado this very good friend of mine who at the time was the chief of police um, and would run every year his birthday in miles so I knew he was a successful long-distance runner and I was running uh, quite well at the time so we just sat there and said oh we could do that same distance we could do it in one day in fact I think we could do it under 18 hours and so <laughs> you said a beer was it a couple beers <laughs> well it might have been more than one to get us out there like that so all of a sudden here we were in this beautiful place of like okay what are we going to do and neither uh, my friend uh, Gary or I had ever even done this trail or anything and there we were committing to this and so we took it on and about a month or so later uh, it led to a great story Gary and I got up very early in the morning um, and we did we ran from Vale to Aspen uh, it actually took us 13 hours our actual running time was about 11 and a half hours uh, we went over three mountain passes we were between 8 and 12,000 vertical feet at the time and um, it was about 65 miles and and kind of half crazy we we have to I think what makes it so interesting to tell the story today is to put it a little bit in perspective at the time that we did it realizing there were no cell phones there were no GPS's. You know, you just sort of had some uh, geo maps and just off you went. And I would love uh, to see your uh, your iWatch's health report stats from that workout. I, would, I think you might have met your steps. Yeah, I would. I would love to actually have seen that too. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that uh, but that, that would probably exist. be uh, one single event that was certainly very memorable. That's so cool. I remember when you were telling me about that run in, in detail when we were together in Aspen, and I just felt crazy to just sit there and imagine that in the bar we were sitting and having a drink, and that is where you finished the run and had your drink. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have to jump in and say, uh, as well for your athletic endeavors, um, the three marathons you ran in New York City, because my most memorable athletic endeavor was when I ran the New York City Marathon right. in 2007, and you were there to meet me at the finish line. Right. And I ran um, 30 years to the day, one of your three. One of my three. One of your three, yes. yes. exactly. In and about ran, double, but I ran well, but double the time well, you <laughs> that ran, you ran. You ran beautifully. You did yeah, phenomenal. But you, well, but... It's, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. You're right. We could, we could do a whole podcast on your athletic endeavors. That's definitely a, it's yeah, definitely I, a truth. I've had a, in fact, it was cute because I did have to sort of select it between a couple of other pretty good stories. But yeah. It was a good one. That's Thank good you. One. So in speaking of athletic endeavors, part of that has to do with obviously tolerating pain and discomfort. I mean, you don't run 65 miles, uh, which is a hiking trail, at eight to 12,000 feet and not experience some discomfort. So your ability to tolerate the aforementioned pain and discomfort, both literally and figuratively, has always amazed me. In fact, it was my decision to go through childbirth naturally for both of my children um, that was inspired in very large part because of the gift of pain tolerance that you passed down to me. Although we have to give mom some credit. I was just going to say, I think we definitely have to give you, you you've got a real tough mom. Mom's pretty tough too. So, and you personally have not experienced childbirth, dad. So I guess we can say that mom and I might have you on that one. I would totally agree. <laughs> However, um, clearly you know how to manage um, some pretty intense physical challenges. So do you mind sharing a little bit how you do that? And then what is happening behind the scenes in your psyche? 
Um, I joke that um, I like pain. And the reason I say that is because pain reminds me that I'm alive. And it, it oftentimes is a motivator. And so I'm okay with it. Uh, it. I think what happens is it becomes those moments that you can overcome within yourself and be strong. And um, and so I, I, I sort of embrace it. I, I, I just, I, I go after it. I'm okay with it and, and, and that. And so I find it probably as much as anything, I find it as an opportunity. Uh, mm -hmm. just within myself to work through it um, it's mine it's mine to deal with I can't give it to anybody else mm -hmm. they can, you know so it it's um, it becomes kind of personal but I'm I'm okay with that and then it also as a sidebar to that is I where do I go to help work through it um, and I mentally go to what I call special places. And those are things that I have captured over time in my mind, whether it be a, a real vignette that I was actually in, I'm laying up on the foot of a glacier in a pond and the sun's beating on me and I'm laying there in a contemplative and I can hear the water trickling as it, as it starts to melt from the glacier and it goes by me in a little creek and I'm exhausted. So I go to places that I've created that are like that, that are sensually soul calming, both in a visual format that I can see in my mind, mm -hmm. and I actually can sort of feel the the the, the warmth of the sun. I, I visualize that. I, I I feel the sound of the water, and so those places is kind of where I go. And when I get there, uh, it's funny you. Your mind can only concentrate on one thing at a time. So if I can concentrate on that, it's not concentrating that I'm uncomfortable someplace else in the body. Yeah. I, I remember when we were chatting about this topic the other day and you shared that with me about the, the vistas, like or the vignettes rather, like what you're looking out on. And I remember distinctly in my second labor, most recently with, with Eileen, um, I remember in the height of the contractions happening at home, envisioning myself standing on a peak and looking out at other mountains and realizing like I was at the top of that and then I just let myself gradually come down as the contraction started to fade. And uh, it was just so interesting because that was the, 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 what I was doing. And then later when we talked about this, we were both like, oh, wait, you do that? I do that. <laughs> we hadn't talked about doing that. No, that's true. So, but <laughs> but as, you, as you developed on your own and you experienced, it's a really powerful tool. And yeah. we all have to find our own way to do that. Another funny way that I did mine was uh, when I used to do long, long distance runnings, I would create a project in my mind and I would actually start to build it. So I would think, okay, I'm going to build a home. What's the first thing I have to do? And so um. I would run, and I would literally be building this home in my mind as I was running. It just kept you from thinking, oh, my gosh, my, mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable here or I'm uncomfortable there. Yeah, I think that the, um, the biggest thing I've always taken from you so much is the, the power of the mind, and you, you can harness your thoughts. You can redirect them in a positive way. You've told me that my whole life. Don't ever lose it. 
Tell you what, with these with these two kiddos, you've watched me over the last few weeks kind yeah. of sort of practically lose it. No, so I've got to remember no, that. No, no, I actually admire your strength dealing with what you're dealing with. <laughs> There's a lot going on, but this is the motherhood podcast, so a lot of moms listening right now know exactly what. Well, bless all on. you moms. I can. <laughs> So when it comes to business, you have zero fear of risk taking. So in in my lifetime, I've seen you take on multiple daring entrepreneur ventures, even, you know, what some might say, quote unquote, the cost of maybe that extra comfortable cushion of spending and you had to rework exactly, uh, you know, how the spending was or what was happening in our family or sell a car to make make it so for for us at home, it felt seamless to us. And it always did. My childhood was was never, there was no longing. There was never a need for anything because my basic needs were always met. But I got to see growing up, you experience a lot of different, I would say, struggle and joy within your risk taking, but you always were able to, to move in a positive direction. So because of that, you know, you had to have a certain mindset. So what specifically was your mindset or is your mindset when you go into these bold situations that inevitably bring you to a positive place, even if there's struggle along the way? Before I answer that question fully, I remember a really cute story uh, to that. When you girls were really young, you would typically come up to me and you'd go, Dad, are we having a good cycle or a bad cycle? Oh, yeah. And typically, <laughs> when we would ask for stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you or your sister or the other kids would look at me and they'd go, hey, Dad, are, are we having a good cycle or a bad cycle? And then I would say, you know, it's a little rough right now. And then you wouldn't ask the question. But I always knew when you asked the question in the first place, if I said, you know, we're in pretty good shape, then I knew I was going to get fired off. Hey, Dad, can we? You know, or can I? Whatever. (laughs) But back to the question at hand. Um, The word fear is a great word. And it's a powerful word. And I think I found really many ways to approach the the concept, I guess, uh, really, really young whether it was being afraid of the dark, um, being alone, or even being bullied. I went through a, a phase where I, I was a subject of a bully group that they, they liked to pick on me. And so what happened was I found a way to just go and deal with it head on and, and just say, I refuse to accept that fear. I'm gonna just confront it and move through it. And in business, which, I have found is that when I start a new project or I'm in new endeavor, I, I know when I start that project that there are different outcomes. There's obviously the outcome of great success. There's the outcome of medium success. There's the outcome of just kind of a push. And there's also an outcome of failure. And so when I go into these things, I understand clearly from the very first day what I'm embarking on, and I understand that they can go various ways. So I'm constantly in my mind working through that and um, deciding, you know, how am I going to cope with good success as well as how would I cope with if something didn't work out. And I did set a real um, strong um, precedent within my family was I didn't want my family to ride my cycles, and particularly my business cycles. You couldn't help, but the family couldn't help but feel some of it. 
but it was like I just didn't want that to become the the household issue and so I worked really hard at that and at the same time failure in my life has probably been my greatest teacher and as you know I have failed I have done some things that didn't work out mm-hmm. and, uh, and, the, and and presented some difficult times and I had to learn from that and even as recently as 10 years ago I um, uh, my own company that I have right now we decided to expand into a new market we went into the new market and literally within 12 months it failed uh, we ended up with a significant uh, debt out of there to, uh, to, to back out we decided that we would um, we wanted to pay everybody back and we would pay back the entire debt and the loans that we borrowed to do that and what it did was and this sort of follows another unique quotation which is at the moment of greatest adversity is often the moment of greatest opportunity and what was interesting at that moment was here was one of the most adverse situations i've ever been in i still had a company that was strong and could probably help bear this burden so what we did is we restructured our entire company at that time set out a five-year program to become debt-free i went and spent one year with financial institutions to reorganize that i did that we set that in motion and ironically enough it it did put some pressures and sacrifices on my partner and i and our families a little bit over those five years but we did we paid every dollar back and at the end of amazingly enough at the end of 18 uh, going into 19 we were completely debt free for the first time ever and lo and behold what happened we bumped right into the pandemic mm. ironically enough that failure six years earlier set me up to be successful at one of the most trying times in my industry in modern history so i came out I could go into a horrific situation like the pandemic that affected my businesses, and I was able to weather all of that very comfortably because you didn't have the debt because of the overcoming the failure. Mm, Isn't that amazing. That is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so interesting hearing it like this so succinctly because of course I know all these things, right? I've, I've known them, but then hearing them hearing them like this, and I have to add a couple things just um, to just that you you mentioned just a little bit about you know what, what you're going through as far as you know the when you do have failures and one interesting thing I've always noticed about you dad is when you have a failure if the failure is the result of somebody else somebody else has done something to you or uh, you know um, affected you you never seek revenge and I think that is just that's something I've always carried with me and you know even even recently in my life having had you know a pretty significant disappointment and I have felt all these feelings inside like I need to confront this I need to do something about this and there was that little voice that kept telling me you know what it's it's not going to serve you just just you need to let it go you need to march forward and move forward and I think that you have done that at multiple moments in your life and I think that's that's something that's that teaches me a lesson because it's natural right you want to seek revenge yeah, but. well well thank you and it and and it can be very trying and I did uh, add two particular that had profound financial impact on my life but move on move on move look on. for the positive you've yes. always said that yeah. yep <laughs> so you have raised four children Although I'm pretty sure Alessandra and I would say you're still raising us because of the frequency with which we uh, we come to you for advice, support, and guidance. But you have successfully raised all four of us. And 
I think that's pretty darn cool. I'm, I know that I'm on the struggle bus with my two. I can't imagine it doubling. So talk to me. What is it like to be a dad four times over and then a grandfather five times over? So you have Nathan, Amanda, Cody, Emerson, and Eileen. Exactly. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And they're all beautiful, beautiful children, and they <laughs> come from four beautiful children, so I'm, I'm pretty blessed. Well, I can tell you what it takes. A lot of money. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were going to say whiskey. <laughs> well, isn't this a family broadcast? I, anyway, it, and, and as everyone of you parents out there know, um, there's a humor to that, but there's a reality that, you know, all the things that are necessary you provide for your family uh, from infancy through college education. So it's costly. Anyway, so if there's any one thing that I kind of laugh about a little bit is it does take a few dollars to get through that journey. <laughs> Life is a journey, and you don't always know quite its path. And when I was young, I, I, I didn't really know that I would be a father of four and a grandfather of five. But here I am, and I'm blessed. So, that being the uh, the case, it's 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 been a it's been really um, phenomenal experience for me, and it's amazing to watch my own children grow up, and then watching their children grow up, and the joy that they bring, and um, I think of all of the adventures in my life. Parenting is probably the most challenging and probably the most rewarding. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was just reading that article that I shared with you from the Wall Street Journal, and um, it was all about uh, the idea that suffering brings meaning, right? And in the article, they referenced that parenthood is often the thing, if you think in a course of a lifetime, if people choose to be parents or become parents, that causes the most stress and often the most difficulty for a person, but it is the thing that so, so, so few people, basically no one ever regrets it, is what they were saying. So it's the hardest thing, but you'll never regret it. Well, speaking to the mothers of the world, you ladies, you women, you have, very often have multiple children, and so if, if that first one as difficult as it may have been, burnt that way. You would never have a second child, and yet, it's true. you know, somehow time and the mind and the healing, and you know, the next thing you know, there you are again. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but it is. At the end of the day, you go, that's one of the most rewarding things I could ever do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, thinking back to, to obviously, you have probably a billion parenting stories, but what would you say was the most challenging, I guess, event or thing about being a parent for you? I think that uh, uh, recognizing the fact that the responsibility of providing security, mm. um, safety, mentorship, uh, guiding your children, and knowing that you are being measured all the time, um, that your actions are there. I mean, it's like, you kind of don't, you, you don't think, and then all of a sudden, one day you're at the table and you do something and, and, and the child looks over and does a parody of you and you're going, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, you picked up on that. Ooh, ouch, <laughs> I didn't mean that to happen. So I think the challenging thing is, is that, you know, to realize that you are mentoring, 
and 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 developing these human lives and uh, it's easy to forget along the way sometimes to get kind of sidetracked and 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 to pull back on that that's that's challenging it's tough and and as you know the challenges of right now which are going through with brand new little baby that demanding every ounce of of your time and energy uh, and yet you know it's all going to pay off in the end but it, it's it's challenging yeah, when you're in those in those flows in those in Abs- those seasons. Absolutely, yep. And they all have yeah. kind of seasons. I mean, you got the sort of the the season, midlife season, and you have, you know, the, the little bit of entering into adulthood, and then as as you get into adulthood, the questions that come up. So it's 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 quite interesting, but challenging. Yeah, and little eyes and ears are always watching and listening, and yeah, yeah, that's yeah they're a- <laughs> always right there, and and uh, but yeah. But then you you move through it, and what's on the other end is uh, <laughs> your five grandchildren, right? Because <laughs> you got through with the four. It's what I have, and uh, um, I I couldn't be more blessed. So, <laughs> so what would you say then on? You know, I, we've definitely touched on it, but if you were to say that, like the single most wonderful thing about being a parent. Well, I think we kind of talked about it, but probably at the end of the day, it's the joy I receive from giving them love and receiving their love back. Yeah. I have the opportunity to guide and mentor them and know I'm making a positive difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. And that, that, yeah. that really is probably what it is. Yeah, just making that positive difference. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> pretty cool yeah it's just amazing you know hear you say that because it's like in my mind of course you've made a positive difference in my life but like that positive difference you've made in my life is what is also impacting you it's it and then I feel that way like Emerson will do something and I feel so proud of him and I think wow he didn't really do anything big but I know that I taught him how to do that and now I'm proud or it's just so funny it's the littlest things no absolutely and uh you know, when you you look back and you and you realize where your children have gone and what they've become, and oh yeah, and even right now, just like you said, <laughs> when you watch him uh, look up at somebody and say thank you uh-huh. or merci, yeah, merci. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. He speaks a lot of French. Uh, or you know, thank you, or you know, or or, or hello, or, and it's really, really, and you know that that's. That's a reflection of you, mm-hmm. of what you and your husband have put into him. And, and there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of joy in that. It's a good feeling. Or when he says, no, no, no. And I realize, what did I just say to him five minutes ago? No, 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 Emerson, don't touch that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so thinking about your yeah, own... Pappy does get scolded for that. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Mammal, Pappy said no. <laughs> <laughs> he does scold his Pappy a lot. He lets me know when you're... He lets um, me know if I told him no or something <laughs> he wasn't really happy about. So thinking about your own parents, what would you say is the, the greatest lesson that you learned from them? Well, I would, I would say that the... <laughs> The phrase helicopter parenting did not apply to my family. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it probably was a statement of the times. Uh, children ran everywhere, went everywhere. There wasn't quite the anxiety that we have today in society with young, young people. And so um, it seemed like there was probably more freedom. So I think um, more than anything, what my parents did was they really had sort of, as I look back, they had really simple goals and and, and uh, 
like one of them was they, and I heard this all the years growing up, my family wanted to find a house, raise their family in that home and in that school district and in that area and not move. And I think that was a result of the fact that both my mother and father moved around a lot as children just because of the time, the migration, all the things that were going on. Mm -hmm. um, and they were, you know, at this school for a while and then over here for a while and different things. And they both sort of had a common goal. Of, well, I want, we want a place to raise our kids that our kids have an identity. They know, they know where they're being raised. And then the second part of it was, uh, and this came mostly from my father and that he just, he said, I, I want my kids to be college educated. Mm. And I, I don't know whether that came from the fact that he didn't complete college because my father um, kind of got caught because he was right at that age, of where, right at the start of World War II. He was working for the railroad at the time. Um, he tried to go in the service. They wouldn't even let him in the service at the time uh, because they needed them to run the railroads here to support mm -hmm. the war effort. So my father stayed here. And as a result, during that whole time, it also kept him out of school. Um, and, 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 and he had an opportunity. He was a, a very terrific athlete in his own right. But I think those, those set him down. He says, let's raise our family, mm -hmm. have a place to raise them, uh, and let's um, get a college education. And the other thing I think was interesting was um, they, they let us be ourselves. Um, they guided and nurtured, but they let us find our way. So they let Scott be Scott, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I made a few decisions that I know made their head spin. And somehow they just, okay. And and um, I remember about my second year of college, I decided I was going to take the winter quarter off and go ski and race for the winter in, in Sun Valley. And, you know, my parents looked, was, you know, here's my dad wanting me to make sure you finish <laughs> college. And all I could do is look at him and say, Dad, I'll finish college, but I want to go do this. I think I'm good enough to race. And left and went and did it, and they never passed judgment on me or, or tried to mold or change me. And they did. They were the same way with my my brother and sister. And uh, um, they 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 nurtured us that way. They raised us that way. And then probably the other thing that really came from my father was, and it's kind of a quote: "Never give up." And I don't care what circumstance you were doing or whatever. I got that from them, my parents. I mean, it was like, you know. If you're knocked down, get up, but don't ever give up. And so that was, mm -hmm. yeah. So my parents provided that kind of guidance. That's really amazing to be able to think back and say that about your parents raising you in the in the 40s and 50s and 60s, you know, to say that they were non-judgmental, they were just supportive, they were letting you be, you know, march to your own drum. And that's just so neat. I mean, that's something that parents today are trying to do, right? There's so many online courses yeah. to let your kid be your kid and so many articles we read about it and yet your parents were already doing that just yeah and i don't ever remember my parents ever quote unquote beating us up over grades or anything it was like you know and while i like to think all three of us were pretty intelligent kids uh not one of us was a straight a student by by standards in those days how you got graded but we were all everyone got A's through C's or whatever. And if you got a C, it wasn't the end of the world. 
you know, and um, yet they encourage you to do well. They encourage you to study. They wanted you to study, and you mm-hmm. know they re- expected you to study, and mm-hmm. I did. And uh, so that was always pretty special. And then one last thing on the parents, uh, I have to say this, and that was, uh, I I was blessed, and I had a very special relationship with my mother, and. I was very close to her, and she was always there. And I can remember, uh, even as I got older, I, I, I could come home uh, from high school or whatever, and if I'd been out with a friend or something, I came in the house, I could go and sit at the foot of the bed because my mother read a lot, she'd be reading. And we would just talk, and she would talk to me. And yeah. I remember you telling me that right before. So. Um, for, for our listeners who don't know, my, my daughter was born and we named her Eileen with an A uh, after my grandmother, after her dad's mom. And, um, but I remember shortly before she was born, I was ex- telling you, Dad, about how I worried. First of all, how would I have enough love again for another child? And then second of all, well, Emerson's getting older. Like, what happens when he doesn't need me as much, right? And then I think I brought it up again because after Eileen's born, I'm, I've been so busy with her. I'm like, Emerson's not with me as much. And you re- reminded me of that. You said she, you know, he, he well, Eileen will be fine. <laughs> She'll grow. She'll be fine. But Emerson will always be your little boy. And you told me that. Like, I, I still sat at the foot of my mother's bed as a high school student, as a college student. And it was just comforting to me well, to know you, that. As you know, even later after, uh, uh, you, you know, when you came in, you know, were born and that, and when you were a young girl, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, I'd unfortunately had lost my father by that moment, but you know how close I was to my mom. I mean, I would fly my mom down to be with you girls constantly. She wanted to be there. You girls loved her. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. And so, you know, so here was the little boy still. That's true. And she did mother. have a special relationship with us. Yeah. 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 So taking a little bit of a, of a pivot, you recently finished reading the book Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets by Atlanta-based pastor Andy Stanley. So this is um, a church and a pastor that the tree that husband had been um, very familiar with and his, his sister actually recommended the book to him and we read it and we loved it and tree gave it to you. And the book talks a lot about making better decisions so you can have fewer regrets moving forward, but it also kind of provides a platform for reflection on your own life. And so... As you think back on your life and the decisions that have shaped your story, what stands out to you the most? Well, it was a great recommendation from you because that was a great book. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, And I I would encourage everyone to read it. It's a short read. Um, I thought he did a really good job of putting it together. I'll put it in the in the show notes so that our yeah, listeners yeah, can, can I, get I, the link to it. Yeah, I think they would enjoy reading it. Um, and also, I think uh, I read it as a 77-year-old man. And what one of the things I captured was, this is a book 30-year-olds should be reading. This is a book younger people should be reading because you are going, you're, you're, you are in and continuing to be making the most critical decisions of your life over the you know the last 10 and the next 20 years or so that'll impact almost everything, whether it's buying a home, another child, a car, mm-hmm. educate everything. And so I would encourage it more uh, from that, but even reading it from my perspective, decisions have consequences. And um, so it was, why not try to make good ones? And I think that that's sort of what the book spoke to mm-hmm. and, and sort of 
help give you a little bit of a platform to think about in terms of these are steps or some things that I should I should contemplate and think about so I don't have and I, at least I would have uh, less regrets and um, I, I thought that the narrative as he wrote it was excellent in its approach and I really enjoyed that I think the underlying thing when you just touched on it a minute ago was that uh, that impacted me because I'm reading it now I've made most of my big life critical decisions I still got a couple more maybe but really the big boys are behind me now but uh, what impacted me though was the conversation of those decisions you're making today mm -hmm. are writing your future story mm -hmm. and he asked the question in there and it, it's a it's a it could be a painful question is what is your story and how would you like your story told? Mm. Because you make a, a big, big marital flub or you make another decision, 10 years, 20 years past, you look back, you go, oh, and I have to live with that. That's now my story. That, I, I, can't, I can't erase it. I don't get do-overs. And so for me, when I read that as a 77-year-old, I looked at it and I said, oh, I, I don't get do-overs, you know, my, my and, and the thing that I think that came out of it uh, for me um, that made me feel good was that I went, I'm okay with my story. <laughs> and so <laughs> I thought when I got done with the book, Phew. <laughs> that was, yeah, was right. I was thinking, oh my goodness, if, if, if I had a pocket full of regrets that somehow are going to come out or, or that you, my family's had to live with. Uh, you know, I'd go, man, Scott, you know, but uh, from that perspective, I thought it was wonderful. And so um, the decisions you make will have a profound impact in your life and, and they will dictate on how you're being remembered. So I thought that that, that was great. And that, what I left with was that, is that it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a very, very good book in that sense. And I find it's interesting. So obviously, Tree and I going through what's going to be coming up, a big move, right, most likely a house right. purchase. It's been fun chatting with you about it because it's like sometimes I feel like, and I, hear, I overhear you sometimes talking to Tree, and you guys have had a lot of conversations on the side too. But it's like the wheels are turning in your head because you're thinking through your decisions. You're thinking through your process. You're thinking through, okay, this is what I experienced. Let's chat with you guys. And actually, this is my thoughts. This is how I would do it. And there's just so much wisdom, right? You know, but there's also that sense of like, let's let's just let's chat about this so there's no regrets. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, thinking about about your story and about your decisions, you know, what is is there a thing or some things you're most proud of? Thinking about, you know, your story, how how you'll be remembered. Just love it. I think in a real short way, seriously, is um, again thinking about that. I am okay with my story. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say, you know, I could pick and choose little events in my life that I'm proud of. I mean, um, I, I'm proud of how I handled some difficult situations in my life and, and other things. But I think probably the most proud I am is of my marriage and my family. And it, it, it's, it's been amazing. And so I'm very, very proud of that at this stage of my life. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very, very proud of our family. All are really good citizens. They've got good family values. They're all hard workers. And so 
I'm confident that my legacy will be carried out by my family. And so um, I think that's what I'm proud of and what I carry forward. Yeah. I sure hope we can keep making you proud. Oh, I am not worried. <laughs> and the little ones, too. <laughs> I am not worried. I, I just uh, um, just wish that uh, I knew that, yeah. I had more time, but it, it's. Uh, I just gotta. I gotta take in everything I can take in while I can take it in. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Well, seventy-seven years young is what I'm gonna keep saying, Dad, because Thank there's you. there's a lot of events. Tree told you you need to watch Emerson go to medical school. Yeah, I know. Actually, he said graduate from, so that yeah. even adds four more years. Well, I know it, and you know it's it, it's <laughs> it, it's kind of a funny story to that because it reminds me. Uh, obviously, I had. Uh, was married uh, once, and then uh, when then I met your mother. I was I was a little bit older, and and so when you were born, I got to go backwards now. I must have been forty, I guess. I think you were. I think I think you were forty-one for me and forty-four for Allie. There if you, my math is correct. Yeah, there you go. That was it. So here I was, you know, where a lot of my mm-hmm. high school peer group, you know, they already had all their children by the time they were about 25 because mm. most of them got married 18, 19, and 20 in those true, days. True, true, yeah, now. different than now. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, here I was going to have a child at 41 and I was laughing and I was thinking, wow. And then I had the two other children that um, I raised and I was laughing, thinking on one side, I'm thinking I'm too young to go to Patrick's graduation, and I'm going to be too old to go to this graduation. <laughs> and so it was. That's true. You had him earlier, and there was like a little pause. Yeah. So then you yeah, had him, quote unquote, yeah, later. Yeah. So it was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm too young to, to, to see this, and yet I'm too old to. I'm going to be too old to see this, and yet I've seen every one of those things. Now I've seen all these grandchildren born, and uh, already went to our first grand son first grandchild graduate from high school yes so Nathan. Yeah, he's Nathan. already at college he's in it's college. just so crazy yeah. so we got one in college two more in high school and then, and then now uh, we've got your new little young ones and so yeah. you know i'm laughing i'm thinking well i i made it to your high school i made it to your university commencement speech true i, I made it to everything nathan's without, graduation now without a wheelchair <laughs> So it might be in my future, but I just want to be there. Hey, so. if you're on horseback, Emerson would love it. Yeah, there you go. Could you be on horseback or like in a truck? Yo, give me a, yeah, give me Yeah. Can I'm you gonna, come in a snowplow, I'll please? Probably, I probably need a horse with wheels, but, yeah. <laughs> but but his love for trucks, maybe that's the best thing for me to do. I like your idea there. Yeah, just I think put that'll, me, something really snazzy. You know, I think that'll drive work. Drive me in. I'll yeah. be good. All right. <laughs> Well, it's been fabulous chatting with you, Dad. We're going to wrap up our first portion of our interview today, and we're going to have a second portion of of it coming up. But can't thank you enough for your time, your wisdom, and your willingness to invite all of us into your life or into this portion of your life because there's more to come. But we are forever better because of the footprint that you have left on our hearts. So it's pretty special. Thank you very much. (laughs) Love you. So to all of our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in today. We are going to be back in action with part two of this wonderful interview with my father coming up soon. But again, thanks for your time today. And we look forward to connecting with you on social media. We are on Instagram at ABCs of Matrescence. And as always, you can rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Thanks so much, and we will chat with you more soon.